Ads, schmads. If you don't want ads, that's okay. Choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts. And hey, presto, no ads. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. It is time for the podcast. How are you? I hope all is going well. We are going to be talking about Irish housing, Irish demography, and the fact that Ireland now for the first time in 200 years, is a country with a rising population, not a falling population, and the implication of that for housing in particular, the the implications of that for housing in particular are enormous. Or as Ronan O'Gar would say, opportunities are fucking enormous, right? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Now, but first of all, I have in my hand a postcard. (laughs) A postcard that was posted on the 22nd of June 1977. Right. And the postcard, John, is of Slayhead, Dingle Peninsula, County (laughs) Kerry. And in the postcard is a photograph of a little Fiat Cinquecento, you remember the Fiat 500? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going across a bridge, which is obviously on Slayhead, and there is a a mountain stream going over the bridge. Yeah. Just so you get... Crossing the road, yeah. Right. And post it again, 22nd of June, 1977. Dear David, (laughs) did you ever see a river going over a bridge? Well, here it is. (laughs) We are having a great time here. Weather is lovely. We were in a beautiful bungalow on the side of Mount Brandon. Love to all. John. Oh my God! Written by you at the age of ten. Where did you get that? To me, which you call me Master David (laughs) McQueen. Were you sleeping that that under your pillow for years? (laughs) So I was up with my mother. That is brilliant. Isn't it brilliant? It's it is 1977. You were ten. Yeah, yeah. Is 46 years old. Wow. 
Amazing, right? And it has that, it has that kind of uh, look about it. But it's, it's also it's, it's amazing. It's a John Hine postcard printed in Cabin Tealy up the road. So everybody, oh, right. all Irish listeners will remember the John Hine postcard. I remember particularly because I remember the Reds are, who was sitting beside the donkey with the turf. You yeah. looked like me. Yes, that's right. <laughs> exactly. I looked like something out of the journal. <laughs> but I was up with my mother the other night. Uh, I was actually changing a light bulb, which is a useful, useful son. Wow, that's amazing yeah, that you could do my that. My mother rang me. She says, come on, come on up here and do something useful with your life. Stop talking <laughs> stuff about economics, right? Do something useful. And I went up and I was chatting, chatting away. I had a cup of tea. We're doing the usual carry on. And she says, look what I found. <laughs> Right? She was going through some old stuff, right, from yeah. years ago, and she found it. It has a beautiful eightpence stamp on it, which is actually really, really beautiful. It's a National Library stamp, 1977. It's, I think it looks like a bit of the Book of Kells or something. Anyway. Just look at that. Yeah, the stamp is a beautiful stamp on it. It is an echo of the Irish past. Oh, yeah, that's really nice. It is a job, but it's very, very clear to me that somebody stood over John and said, this is how you write a postcard. <laughs> in, my best, a in my we're best, best joined writing, up writing. Uh, joined that's up amazing. Writing. We're having a lovely time. The weather is beautiful. <laughs> and we're staying in a lovely bungalow. Wish was, you were here. I'm much at the age of 10 saying, oh, that's fantastic, a lovely bungalow. <laughs> I was really worried about that. Love to all. Love to all, exactly. <laughs> a big bear hug from that everybody. That is brilliant. So that's that brilliant. is uh, indicative of where John and I, or how long John and I have known each other, uh, the postcard is, it's just a beauty. So that's yeah. been kept pride of place master on the Master D, Mac Master Williams. D. I love the master. I know. <laughs> anyway, anyway, that in 1977, let's start there. Okay, good. Good anchor You're point. talking about a country where the population has fallen progressively since 1840. You're talking about a country with very, very high levels of unemployment. You're talking about a country with no migrants. Mm. Everybody looked like us. No migrants at all. You're talking about a country where the income is incredibly low, the income of the country. You're talking about a country which was the poorest of all the so-called reasonably wealthy countries in yeah. Europe. You're also talking about a country where Irish people went on holidays in Ireland. Right? Yeah, well, nobody where else ever, would you go now? But that's what I'm saying. So nobody ever went to, you know, I even remember when we were kids, the first people on our road who went to Spain, it was like they were going to the Mars. You remember yes. Like, they're going to the moon. It's like, my God, they went to Spain. Yeah. Amazing. They all went to some shite hole in Fungarola or Terramolinos. <laughs> and we true. just thought it was like the most glamorous <laughs> thing in the world. With the lad. Yeah, we thought it was the most glamorous thing in the world because we were in, we used to go to Connemara in the rain and you'd yeah. go down to <laughs> Dingle in the rain and you'd either stay in a beautiful bungalow or in a granny's house or an auntie's <laughs> yeah. house. Or whatever. That's anyway, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that Ireland. The Ireland of 1977, the Ireland of 45 odd years ago, right? And you contrast this with the Ireland now. And what you see is a totally, totally different country. But if you go back even further, what I want to talk about is housing, because this yeah. is the only issue. And what I'm going to say in this podcast is there will be no peace in Ireland unless we fix the housing market. And what I mean by peace, there'll be no economic peace. There'll be no geographic peace, there'll be no political peace, and there'll be no social peace yeah. unless we yeah. fix that. Now, the extent of the challenge is kind of breathtaking, but I'm going to put it to you in sort of big centurion-style ideas, right? In 1821, think about this, right? In 1821, in the census of 1821, there were 6.8 million people in Ireland, yeah. on the whole island. Yeah. The same year, there were 10.4 million people in England. So there's 6.8, amazing, there's 6.8 million Irish people. Yeah. And there's 10.4 million 
English people, right? Wow. At the time, there were only 800,000 Welsh people. Only 800,000 Welsh people. Wow. In the whole of Wales. And in Scotland, there were a little bit less than 2 million. So our population right. was three times bigger than Scotland and about 70% of the population of England. Today, there are 54 million people in England. Get your head around that. How unbelievably populated England is. 54 million. Wow. And there are about 7 million on the island of Ireland, ourselves and the Northerners included. Had we had the same demographic propulsion as England, we would have, give or take, 36 million people on this island. So get your head around that. Wow. What was the driving, the main driving force for the population explosion then in, in the UK? The main driving force in the UK was the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. The Well, people would just start having babies. Well, okay, so actually, it's interesting. Well, let's, let's talk about the Malthusian trap then, John. We, you, you, I wasn't going to talk about this, but you Ooh. threw me the ball and yeah. I had to pick it up. I had to I pick it up. I was throwing so, you that one. So the Malthusian trap was this idea. So Thomas Malthus was an Anglican bishop yeah. and a public intellectual, right? And he wrote a book in very early parts of the 19th century, so 1801, 1802, right, on population dynamics. Yeah. And what he was making the point was, up until then he was right, which was that basically, in effect, the humans are locked into a battle with nature and nature always wins. That was his basic point. Right. Which was the okay. following, right? Yeah. That the, the land can only produce a certain amount of agricultural produce. And that moves very, very slowly. Yeah. But humans, if we have lots of babies and they have lots of babies and they have lots of babies, we move in a geometrical scale, right? Yeah. So we can actually repopulate the world very, very quickly. And he was saying that at some stage, the arithmetic increase in agricultural yields is going to smash into the geometric increase in human populations and humans are going to lose, yeah. right? Yeah. And how we lose is we die. Right, And he just wasn't taking into consideration technology. Technology, and, yeah, all that sort of thing. And he was kind of right. If you look at the history of humanity from 5,000 years BC up until about 1800, Malthus was broadly right. Yeah. So you get famine, you get pestilence, you get plagues, infant mortality, all those things kept the human population low. Now, it's a good job for Malthus he didn't live. Because it must have been very difficult to write your great thesis just at the moment your great thesis starts to break down. Yeah. And yeah. what broke down is two or three things. The first thing in the UK was incredible increase in sanitation, right? Incredible increase in medicine in the 19th century, yeah. right? So you have Pasteur, you have all sorts of antibiotics, you have, you have all sorts of just basic notions of cleanliness. Mm. So suddenly the mortality rates of infants falls very rapidly. So yeah. many, many people died at infancy. We yeah. kind of forget that, right? That's the worst thing. And, and it was also one of the reasons why people had lots of babies. Exactly, right? The second and maybe the most important thing was energy. So what you had in the United Kingdom, in actual fact, last week when we talked to John Byrne Murdoch, he made the point that yeah. a lot of economists talk about the Industrial Revolution as a product of the fact that British wages were very, very high relative to the cost of energy in Britain. And in order for Britain to actually become an industrial power, they had to find a new source of energy. And they found that source of energy in coal yeah. and steam. Yeah. And of course, coal and steam drive machines and you introduce machines into agriculture. And suddenly what you get is 
a replication of how, what happened in the plough in the 1100s, yeah. just the introduction of the plough, but you get the mechanised plough. Yes. So that, of course, changes the agricultural yields, and suddenly you go from a situation of having little food to lots of food, and the more food you have, the more people you can support. And so you we, can transport it. It's easier and, you can and quicker transport it. The canals, yeah. which is the big thing, and of course the railways, yeah. and the Industrial Revolution. So what you basically have is an explosion of the urban population in England. Mm. So that's what's happening in England. Right, And of course, you have the British Empire and the British Empire, they're sucking all sorts of resources and minerals and money out of the empire, bringing it back to England. And people. To amplify, and of course, people. And yeah. Of course, people. Yeah. Of course, people. So in Ireland, we have the famine. So a totally different trajectory. We are an agricultural population. We are entirely dependent upon one crop, which is exactly what Malthus actually warned about. Mm. He said, you will become over-dependent on one crop and that crop will fail and you will all die. And he was right. Yeah. Okay. Now we can talk as Irish people about whether or not the Brits caused the famine or they could have alleviated the famine. All that's true. But, it's also but the a- fact is the famine happened. We were an incredibly populated country. So from 1821 to 1841, our population increased by another 1.3 million. We went yeah. to 8.1 million. Right. So the population was increasing dramatically. We were becoming entirely over-dependent on one crop. Yeah which was the carbohydrate-rich potato, which had actually come, of course, from Latin America. Mm -hmm. And it failed. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say that Ireland was becoming increasingly precarious in terms of its demographic stability all the way through the early 19th century. But Dublin was the sixth biggest city in Europe at the time. Yes. So you have have a total change. And then we get this, the great catastrophe that befell Ireland, famine. And what we then get is a massive, massive reversal in the population structure. And then the new state in 1921 is a state with only 2.6, 2.7 million people. It's incredibly, incredibly small compared to what it was. Yeah. And of course, then when you were writing that postcard in those beautiful hands, John, (laughs) that lovely hand, (laughs) we were a state dealing with the problems of failure. And the problems, the economic problems of failure are unemployment, emigration, and depopulation. Yeah. Right? Since you penned that postcard, John, the entire economic fortunes of the country have turned around. And they are most evident in the population dynamics. So for the first time in 200 years, we have the problems of success. How do you deal with a population that's increasing dramatically? Mm. How do you deal with full employment? How do you deal with income? That is going through the roof yeah, on yeah. almost every measure. And what it requires, and this is the interesting thing, to go from one quasi-permanent state of failure to maybe and hopefully a quasi-permanent state of success demands a total mind shift in the way in which you think about the country. And that mind shift is almost we've got to consign the mental map of Ireland to the bin. Which comes first, though? Is the mindset shift cause the success, or does the mindset shift happen when we have success? Exactly. So what has basically happened in Ireland is we weren't ready for the success. Nobody was telling us 40 years ago that the population was about to increase dramatically, that the state of the nation was about to change dramatically, that multinationals would look at Ireland as their place of choice, that income would rise, yada, yada, yada. Okay, Mm. so now we are at an inflection point. We need to totally change the way we think. And it's hard to change because 
it's ingrained after a while that you yeah. have. I yeah. mean, I think the Irish disposition for always kind of taking the piss out of ourselves, laughing at ourselves, not taking ourselves too seriously, all those sort of things that make us quite popular abroad come from the fact that we were an economic failure. Mm. I really think that, that 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 kind of nice side to our nature comes from the fact that we were always a bit of a joke economically. But I suppose if, if the people that are in power are usually kind of 50, 60-year-olds. They're um, backward looking all the time. Yes, that they're, backward, that, yeah. that they're so used to this failure. So it's, it's the younger generation haven't had the chance to flourish. Exactly. So think about it. We've got to think about having new cities, right? I'll give you a statistic, John. We require about 55,000 houses a year just to stay still now with the population we have. We'll talk about the numbers in a minute. Right? Yeah. That is a city the size of Waterford we have to build every year wow. for the next yeah, 50 yeah, yeah. years, every year. So in order to do that, we've got to it's stop. a lot of Dacia. On the Dacia, right? We've got to stop thinking on the BAPs. Now they have. The Blas. The Blas. I knew it was something like that. Yeah. So what we have to think about is not creating towns adjacent to other towns. So not like kind of grafting on a little bit of Atlow yeah. or Longford. Or got suburbs, of, suburbs. We've got to think way. of building entirely new towns, greenfield towns. Yeah. And at the moment, our mental map of Ireland is basically all roads lead to Dublin. Yes. That has to yeah, be yeah, totally yeah. reversed. So if you look at the map of Ireland, what you basically have in your head is you have no real connections between Derry and Galway, Galway and Limerick, Limerick and Cork. You have no sense of an orbital route on the west of the country. You've no sense of Derry straight down to Athlone all the way down to, mm. let's say, Waterford. You've no mental map of that because we've never constructed it. What we've constructed is a transport infrastructure which sucks everything into Dublin, right? We've got to think entirely differently to create a new city, maybe in the Midlands, on a greenfield site and a city of 50, 60, 70,000 people and do this every year yeah. because that's what the population demands. So yeah, just yeah. to get our heads around... That's the way we've got to start thinking. If we don't, we will have social chaos, right? This is the whole point. So it's, it's not as if this is a choice, yeah. right? Because our young people will be priced out of housing. People will be living in sub-wealthy housing conditions in a wealthy country. They will get really pissed off. They will revolt. They will both extreme left, extreme right. We will have no social peace. Well, we've already got a little taster of that. We've got a of that. Yeah. But, but think about long term. We will have no peace. And I mean peace. In the Irish context, we always think of peace in the context of Northern Ireland, right? Mm. We will have no peace unless we fix these housing dilemmas, right? And every part of the state and the citizen should think about this. So, for example, because our population was always falling, what actually happened here was our relationship with land ownership changed and the primacy of land became part and parcel of the Irish outlook. Mm. So land is always protected. Now, we had we had 36 million people living on this island, we'd have a totally different relationship with land because land would have to be used. Yeah, well, where, where would they go? I mean, th then you wouldn't have an agricultural sector. Yeah. So is, is land, is that where you start? Because if we do need to have this big shift in uh, intellectual shift yeah. in mindset, is that where we start at land? You have to start with the issue of putting the interests of people above the interests of land and land ownership. And that is a function of this mindset shift. 
that has taken 200 years to solidify itself. Mm. And we yeah. need to unravel it in about 200 days. <laughs> no, really, really, we have to, we have to. So it, it, it's, it's a big challenge. For example, it's a big challenge for whatever political party comes in. Okay, well, let's put some numbers on that and explore that further after this. Cool. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Okay, so so the Irish population now for the whole of the island is in around the 7 million mark. Yeah. But crucially we don't have the housing to, to accommodate. That. And and it's growing. So what does that mean? Where, so where is that going to go? So first thing is population tends to move in big big demographic cycles, which makes complete sense. So we were talking about that postcard you wrote in 1977. Yes. Right? Interestingly, interestingly, in the late 1970s into the early 1980s, there was a population increase here, quite dramatic. That's the thing I wrote about the Pope's children. Yes. So the population actually peaked nine months to the day after the Pope kissed the tarmac. So Irish people did respond to the Pope by fornicating. Right? <laughs> it's kind of weird when you think about it. That's how we responded. You! Thank, thank you very much, Papa, right? So those people were born in the early 1980s are now in their late 30s or early 40s. Yeah. They are having children. They have just had children. So their kids are the kids who are in school. So you get a, a little bulge in the population. Yeah. But the way in which you look at housing are all economic planning. It has to start with population, right? Because that's the only basis upon which you can plan the education system, the health system, the welfare system, the transport, the roads, and of course, the housing system, right? So there are four things. The framework is the following. There are yeah. four ways in which housing gets affected by population, right? The first is what we call the natural increase, which is the number of births minus the number of deaths. So that's a natural yeah. increase in the population. Second one is immigration or migration, out or in. The third one is what we call household size. And this is quite an interesting one, right? Is that Ireland has 
probably the highest and has had the highest household size in Europe, which is about more people living in one house, right? Okay. So yeah. in Ireland, traditionally, so for example, when we were kids, you had, you know, seven, five, seven, six people living in one house, right? Because mm. we had big families, right? So that has gradually fallen. Now about the Irish average is about 2.5 people living per house, but that'll fall down to about 2.3, 2.2, which is the European average. And mm. this might sound very small, but it has dramatic impact on the amount of houses you need for every thousand people in okay. the country, right? And, then and, the, the, last and, the, and the type of housing you Type need. of housing, yeah. You need yeah. two-bedroom apartments, one-bedroom apartments, all this sort of thing. And then the last thing is what we call obsolescence, which is basically houses fall down. Like eventually okay, yeah, houses yeah, fall yeah, down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And a huge amount of the Irish housing stock, particularly in rural areas, or a significant amount, about 150,000 homes are over 100 years old. Right. So they are falling down yeah. and they will have to be replaced. So you add all those together and you get a figure, right? But the main one is if you look at the population, the natural increase, it's about between 25 and 30,000 per year, okay, which is really quite significant. Mm. So we're talking about 60,000 people are born and about 30,000 people die. So in and around those figures, right? Yeah. So that translates, according to the central bank, when you take also the change in household size, we need about 18,000 houses a year, new houses, just to deal with the natural increase in population. Okay. That's the first thing. That's not a big deal. We all know that. Second thing is immigration. And this is the huge one, right? So, for example, I'll give you the government in their model for the population and the housing market has put in an immigration, a net immigration figure on average for the next five years. In fairness, now they did this a few years ago, right. of about 12,000 people, right? Okay. We had 93,000 immigrants into Ireland last year. 93,000, right? I mean, in fairness, they got that wrong probably because of Ukraine. No, if you look at it, right? So if, oh. if this is the new immigrants into the country, right? So the overall immigration figure is about 141, right? So okay. 141 takes in Irish people coming back, European people coming to live here, and British people coming to live here. Mm. None of which the state can do anything about. Okay, yeah. These are people who are coming in and out of the country. So there's about 30,000 Irish people have come home in the, okay. in the 12 months to last April, right? Right, okay. 26, is that up or down? Do you know? That's up. That's okay. Up. About 26,000 EU citizens have come to live here. Okay. Right? And about 5,000 UK citizens have come to live okay. here. Okay. That leaves 81,000 other immigrants who've come in, right? It's a lot, yeah. And of that 81,000, about 40,000 are Ukrainians. Right. Okay. So about okay. 41,000 are migrants, right? Are new migrants, new people mm. who've come into the country. If you take the government's figure of 12,000, it's way off the mark. Like, it's really, really way How off the mark. How did they get that so wrong? Well, I think it's just because they put these figures into a model about four or five years ago, and they haven't updated it. But it shows you how quickly the world can change. Yeah. So they should be looking at... So It's just not an annual thing that should they should be, be doing. It should be a monthly thing at this stage, yeah, given yeah, the yeah, way yeah. the flows yeah, yeah, are, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So we know that on housing structure, that... If immigrants are between the age of 25 and 44, they're going to have families. And of course, 60% of the immigrants are between 25 and 44. Okay. So they're going to have families, right? Yeah. So this means more demand for housing. And then we look at, on average, every 10,000 new migrants requires 4,000 new houses. Okay. Because there's about 2.5 
people in migrant houses per home. Okay. So that's 4,000. So just look at the figures. We're talking about, even if you assume, which would be wrong, but if you assume that all the Ukrainians will go home, mm. we're still talking about 60,000 new migrants per year. Yeah. Meaning we're probably going to have to have about 26 or 27,000 houses for them alone. Right. So for them alone, you've got 26 or 27,000, right? And of course, this is only going to increase because of what we were talking about on Tuesday about the, the Middle East and, you know, trade and people coming in and out and the migration and the and wars stuff. and all that sort of stuff, right? So, 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 mm. and then of course, you have the actual change in the behavior of Irish people. So the fact that we have many more single people who want to live on their own, we have many more couples who don't yeah. have kids. We have many gay couples. We have lots of divorced couples. So what happens in a divorce is you need two houses where you had one for a family. Yeah. So we have a yeah. whole change in, in, in structure of society. That this means that less people on average will live in a house in Ireland. Now you can think, well, yeah, no, that's, you know, if it goes from 2.5 people to 2.3 people, that's not a really big deal. But consider this, right? So if you think, right, we have one of the largest household size in Western Europe. That's about 2.5 people per household, right? This has been falling steadily over the last, since you wrote me that postcard. It's mm. been falling steadily, right? And we're relatively unurbanized as, yeah. as a society, right? So if we were to go to the European average, the European average is 2.3 people per yeah. household. Now that doesn't sound very much, but to put this into context for you, right? If, for example, the population of the country is maybe 6.2 million by 2050, right? Yeah. This would mean, if we were to have this slight change in the household size, it would mean moving from a population of 6.2 million, if we changed household size, we need to build an extra 270,000 houses. Wow. So when okay. you've got a big figure, a small change in a big figure is a lot of houses. Yeah. So yeah. again, this is adding into the stock. So we think we probably need about 10,000 houses per year to deal with this, right? And then finally, the obsolescence, mm. right? As I said to you, particularly in rural areas, about 150,000 Irish families live in buildings that are more than 100 years old, mm. predominantly in rural Ireland. These need to be changed. And again, if you think there's about 2.1 million households in Ireland, homes in Ireland, about half a percentage of that per year becomes obsolete, that's about 10,000 houses, right? So I know right, okay, lots yeah. of figures. Yeah. But you add them all up, you add up, obsolescence, 10,000 houses. You add a change in household structure, let's say 10,000. You add the natural increase in Ireland, let's say 18,000, maybe 20,000. That gets you to 40,000. And you add the immigrants, it could be as high as 25,000 new houses we need. So we're pushing the figure all the way to 55, 60, 65,000 houses per year. Wow. Right? Okay, okay. At the moment, we're building 30,000 and the government saying, this is great. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, saying, yeah. we've built more houses than we ever built before, right? Which they have done, but Which it's just haven't. not enough. But it's only about half of the amount we need. Mm. So in order to change and to build enough houses, now imagine what's going to happen to house prices in this situation. House prices just keep going up and up and up. Yeah, yeah, which they are. Yeah. Which they are, right? Because of this massive demographic pressure. And of course, the massive demographic pressure becomes a crisis when your mind shift hasn't taken place. When your mind and your all your policies are still driven by civil servants who seem to think we still have a declining population, 
when we have actually a rapidly increasing population. And the thing about an increasing population is it feeds on itself. Because people yeah. have kids and then they have kids and very, very rapidly you're into a situation not like the Brits going from 10 million to 54 million, but you're in a situation of rapidly increasing populations. We in Ireland, John, seem to be governed by people who are still stuck in 1977. Mm. 1977 was a year actually when Fianna Fáil got rid of rates. Rates were used to finance public services and used to finance local government. So we're stuck in this 1977 mindset when we're looking at an economy, not just in 2024, but we should be looking at an economy for 2050. So what, what is that mindset? Like, what is the shift that needs to the take place? The shift that needs to place places, the first one is to do it land, right? That we need to make land available cheaply for as many people as possible. That's the first thing. Mm. So we need to have a totally different approach to rezoning. Okay, so residential rezoning has to happen very quickly and lots more of it. Mm. We have to have a massive change in density, particularly in existing cities. So for example, the, one of the issues I always talk about, the, the port, change the port. Yes, yeah, city, yeah. yeah. housing, it's a, it's a space problem. Yeah. We need to go up in Dublin, and yeah. up in Cork and up everywhere else. Now, it doesn't have to be everywhere and it can be managed and you can have aesthetic ideas and you can have yeah, planning absolutely. ideas and all that sort of stuff. But at some stage, we need to have an eight-story city or part of the city intensively developed that is dense. And you can do this. The rest of the world does it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, can, we, don't have to, we don't have to become like a Manchester where they've got 50-story tower blocks in the middle of old Manchester and it's changed the... Totally. But maybe even more interestingly, part of our development has been, oh, we'll put a new suburb adjacent to an old town. We need to create new cities, totally new cities. And again, this doesn't seem to be in the Irish way of thinking, but we need to identify a place in the middle of nowhere where land is extremely cheap. The state needs to CPO that agricultural land. It then needs to rezone it. It then needs to plan it. And we need to say, we are going to have a new town of 50,000 people, 60,000 people. Well, you need to attract businesses, though, then as well. But again, you can do that. I mean, if you look at, if you look at the entire way in which the IDA negotiates its factories and its fabs and its firms, it can redirect those firms into these areas. You need to, again, I come back to a very old idea. You need, for example, to decentralize the civil service. I mean, why is the civil mm. service in Dublin? But didn't they do that back in the 90s, wasn't they never, it? They, they did it they did it Mickey Mouse, right? Right, okay. But I mean, a lot of civil servants wouldn't mind living down the country. Say, okay, house prices will be cheaper, schools will probably be better, it's a nicer way of life, congestion, etc., traffic. But my point is that everybody has to buy into this. Mm. And at the moment, few people are buying into this. So you have nimbyism not in my backyard. You have protesters. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you can't do this. Something we might do a podcast on in the next while is here in Dunleary. They've got this new change about living streets. And they're trying to change and have less cars and re... And everybody's up in arms. Yeah. Again, it's actually blocking development, blocking progress, because it's this is my backyard and not your backyard. And the only way we can change that is if we change the relationship with lands that people don't have rights over everything. Yeah. You know, it's my right. No, it's not your right. You don't have a right to a view. You don't have a right to this and that. In fact, there are much greater rights, which are the rights of the entire people over and above the rights of the individual. Now, of course, you've got to manage that properly. Mm. 
But it was interesting, I read recently about how the government are looking at repurposing a lot of the old office blocks. Yeah. Which is something that we've spoken about before. Well, look, John, I think in conclusion, you're absolutely repurposing offices, absolutely right. But I think in conclusion, we started with the problems of failure. So for most of our lives, Irish economics and policy and strategy was dealing with the problems of failure. How do we get more people in jobs? How do we increase the population? How do we increase the income? How can we actually move to a situation where there's sufficient demand in the economy to drag everybody up? We've done that. Mm. That's the hard part. Now, wouldn't it be ironic if having solved the problems of failure, that the problems of success, the nirvana we were trying to get to for the last 50 years, now we're here, that the problems of success unravel the country. That would be both ironic, tragic, and I think kind of unforgivable. Just before we go, I want to tell you about a special evening, Tuesday the 20th of February at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary at 8pm. It's myself, Colin McCann and Diane Foley. Now, Diane Foley's son, James Foley, was kidnapped in northern Syria and he was murdered in a public beheading by ISIS. And this, of course, was put up on the internet and this is how Diane learned about her son's death. In the book American Mother, Colin McCann captures Diane's story, talks about her son's captivity, the efforts they made to bring him home and the fact that she came face to face with her son's killer. This promises to be a fascinating evening, Tuesday the 20th of February, tickets at paviliontheatre.ie. And I'll see you there. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.